and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Jason Heck, back again for Minute 94, which begins with Ripley holding her lighter up to a sprinkler head and ends with Newt shrieking for Hudson's help. All right, yeah, so we're right in the middle of this uh, crazy facehugger, loose, you know, free-range facehuggers, as we called them yesterday. Um, We have this scene running, we're full speed almost, and... uh, we're just waiting for what's going to happen next. We've already had one facehugger attack. Apparently, the bed neutralized that facehugger, right? Well, well, temporarily. It, it certainly uh, it, it put the kibosh on that particular attack, but he has uh, scurried off as they are prone to do. And biding his time, apparently, because it's it's taken a little while for, for one. But we talked a little bit about that uh, tactical, perhaps slight tactical uh, ability that they have, or maybe they don't just come at you all the time. They wait for the right moment. Right. I mean, they are, despite their tremendous survival, their their engineering for survival. They are also the the xenomorph at its most vulnerable, save perhaps for the chestburster. Um, but they are certainly uh, about uh, lurking and pouncing rather than the the full on. I'm bulletproof. I'm going to tear your face off with my little mouth fully grown adult alien attack method. So we get uh, right here, we're right in the middle of Ripley lighting uh, this sprinkler head here. Uh, This is a good idea. I mean, this is the only way she's going to be sure to uh, sound an alarm. I guess nobody's noticed her on the the camera as far as she knows. So enough time's gone by. Well, this is a guaranteed fix here. Uh, It's also a great way to change the sort of dynamic of the scene right we get a little uh, escalation of sorts just from changing the dynamic of what's going on around them let's get some sprinklers going let's get, get alarm going let's make it a little bit more panicky right. a little bit more uh you know, i don't know just it, it just dousing them with water is just a nice little visual change sure so, makes the floor slippery makes the thing har- harder to find because now you've got noise as well as visual cover for the face huggers, which are obviously adept at, at whatever sort of terrain. So they just um, lowered uh, their, their human sensory skills by a rather large factor, even though the alarm is not going off. So in a sense, yes, she rang the alarm, but she's also ringing the dinner bell um, for, for the aliens. So her and Newt, they're waiting. Uh, they're waiting for someone to come along. They don't know what to do. Exactly, but stand there and wait, and 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 Ripley's rubbernecking around, you know, you would, as anyone would be, uh, for these where the facehuggers might be coming from, and boy, she doesn't look right past the facehugger. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, a couple of yeah that <laughs> she she scans right past it, but you know, again, we've got now now she's in the middle of it's essentially a driving downpour, and she's got red lights flashing. And she's deafened by the uh, the alarm clacks. And so all sorts of things are conspiring to rob her senses of their normal acuity. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't blame her for not seeing it. I didn't, I've never noticed it there either. If I take it and – I mean, I know it's there because I jump ends up jumping out. But if you look at the scene closely, it blends really well in its environment again. So it's always always seems to be the case with this alien in whatever form it's in. It's able to blend with its environment well enough to, to keep itself camouflaged from view uh, and waiting for the right time to pounce, which this is one of the, I think this is one of the most effective like jumps, like pouncing creature moments in any movie. It's always it always gets me. It's 
a really nice effect, which I assume, I, I listened to the commentary and I tried to glean as much information about it as I could, but I, I assume they're just pulling this thing on a cord, right? Yeah, it's like it's like a rubber puppet on, on fishing line, you know? It's, it's not, you know, when you watch it sort of, it falls onto her. It's not really a pounce. It's kind of a clumsy, I am a puppet sort of move. And yet... You know, once once she's got it, she she sells it. She she flings it off of her, and um, of course, it does the absolutely terrifying pursuit of her as she's backpedaling on wet floor, no traction, hurling obstacles at it. And that's when you get the really cool, you know, spring-loaded puppet clattering after her on those spider legs, and that's really really scary. Well, I think we're back into the territory we've discussed multiple times on the show where. Uh, James Cameron was very adept at taking these practical effects, accentuating them with other elements and selling them. So in this case, you're right. It's a puppety. It's kind of a cheesy puppety effect when it pounces out at her. But the sound effect um, really sells it. The um, way it's cut really sells it to me. It makes it feel very vis- visceral and impactful when it hits her. And when she hits the ground, you know, Scorny Weaver sells it enough. It's it, If you watch it too closely, you get a bit of the... Uh, you know, Karloff and Ed Wood scene with the octopus, you know, right, right. but there's enough good stuff going on around it with the sound design and the editing and the performance that you don't really, that's not going to hit you that way while you're watching the movie in any way. And don't underestimate the value of driving water. You know, that's, that was the lesson from Godzilla 1998. It's going to hide a lot of mistakes covering something in a downpour. So, you know, shooting in low light, shooting through all you know this this massive downpour from the sprinklers that's that's going to cover you know you can fudge a little bit when when you've got that going on yeah for sure and then then you throw in a really solid effect like the scurrying as you already mentioned the scurrying face or the one that actually has the, the animatronic capabilities so that in the center of all this sells all the other effects right so yeah seeing it as a as a um fully realized articulated effect will make all the other effects work too. So, and we, and we get more of that too. And we, when it jumps on her and we get the, the, um, the reverse shot of, uh, which I guess James Cameron said was a reverse shot where the, uh, face hugger throws its tail around her throat was actually done backwards. So we get that idea sold to us and all put it all in the whipping sound of it and the screaming of Newton, all of it put together. It's all a great effect. If you watch the raw footage of it, you'd probably laugh. Right. You, yeah. Same same as like the raw footage of the Alien Queen, you know, on the DVD extras. You see this thing in daylight outside some studio and you're like, oh, my God, there's it looks like the worst possible parade float, at, you know, in, in like an Arbor Day parade. But light it right, smoke it up. We cover it with you know slime and suddenly it's terrifying what i also like about this minute is here we have to a certain extent a little bit of a rebirth for lieutenant gorman you know he's bandaged up he's he's concussed he is thoroughly emasculated he is thoroughly discredited and yet he's kind of ready to spring into action behind hicks we notice um, and head for MedLab. You know, he's got his, his officer's gun, his VP-70, his, you know, the, the one kind of gun that, that um, he, well, they can't really spare any pulse rifles, right? Because Ripley has sort of laid claim to one. And there he is. He's bandaged up and he heads in. And when, uh, you know, Hicks calls for backup, Hudson and Vasquez, everybody's going to converge on MedLab. There's Gorman right there, ready to help out. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I guess we did kind of skip over that cut away to the... Uh... Two Hicks getting the alarm and, and jumping into action. You're right, Gorman 
jumps right into action. Yeah, he's ready to. He's fully converted. You know, this coma really changed him. Apparently, so not necessarily his inner hero, but now we he has shed. You know the the illusions that that might have come out of this. You know, officer candidate school or wherever he got his kind of junior marine lieutenant diploma. You know, he is he has realized. You know, I need to lean on my veterans, and in fact. I'm actually going to defer to them. You know, he's a corporal. That's you know any number of enlisted ranks below uh, below officer, and yet he's he's fully in charge, and I'm okay with that. You know, I I was you know on the way over here, I was listening to uh, uh, an audio book about the Korean War, and it was uh, at the Chosin Reservoir, and the Marines beginning their epic retreat from Chosin, and uh, there was a, a Marine lieutenant who was kind of new, and um, he kind of ended up deferring to his platoon sergeant on just about everything. And, and at one point, the sergeant said, sir, do you, you know, do you want to you want to take over here? Do you want to lead us down this trail? And the lieutenant said, no, you're doing just fine. And that's kind of the vibe you have here. This callow, un, kind of undertrained, out of his depth lieutenant, completely now deferring to his veterans. And um, you'll notice, too, uh, Burke is in the scene as well for a moment. He doesn't get much play. But if you watch this tracking shot as as Hicks is leading Gorman out and uh, heading to help Ripley, if you look in the background, you'll catch for just one second uh, Burke standing there with his hand on his head like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right. It's kind of funny. Because how many ways is his plan shot if these guys get in there and save Ripley? I mean, first of all, he knows that Ripley's going to have this all figured out. So if Ripley does not die in this scenario, he's he's screwed. Also, they're going to kill his face huggers that he was hoping to uh, keep and take back. And Burke, then uh, he's in a lot of trouble here. Like the fact that she figured out this fire alarm, the simple one, simple like tactic to try to get some help is really screwing him bad, and he knows it. And so he's standing there like, ah, oh, shit. He 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 has the exact same pose. As uh, when when George C. Scott figures out that there's no way to call the bombers back, and <laughs> Doctor Strange left. Right, right. Uh, yeah. like, chicken in the barnyard. Then he puts his hand on his head like, oh shit. Um, <laughs> Burke has to get out his you know his his Apple Newton and look for whatever alternate plan he might have drawn up. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't think uh, I think we're going to find out later he doesn't have one. So yeah, so, so we've also got. I mean, this scene is, this minute rather, is just, it is nonstop. And what I love is how instantly intuitive Hicks is about the glass. Just blast it away. He knows what to do. And, you know, uh, some of those 10 millimeter explosive tip casos rounds, they do pretty well against quote unquote bulletproof glass. And he goes through there, he looks like a human cannonball. And that's once again where you realize how awesome it is that the Marines are wearing, you know, cuirasses and, and, and shin guards and, and body armor. They're wearing literal armor like knights of old as they as they leap and, and you know, stuff proves pretty adept against bulletproof glass and at buying you time against alien acid. So pretty great. Let's see if maybe the U.S. Marines are looking at something like that. That would be pretty dope. Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of intuitive action, um, Newt here is pretty quick to figure out what to how to deal with this face hugger. So we get this like the hand this hand come up. There's just no way around it. To me, that looks like somebody's hand is inside the face hugger, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm yeah, assuming it's that's uh huh. It just looks like that's got to be the effect. Like this, this is a glove, like a puppet that with a hand in it. 
And it's it's very effective, though. It's creepy as hell to see over the shoulder of a child. But then she turns around and very quickly shoves this, uh, whatever, table into its tail. And she must be pretty strong. I'm thinking that's not a simple task to pin this tail of this face hugger. But, uh, you know, she gets it done. And she's doing you know, a pretty good job of binding, uh, saving herself a little bit of time before Hicks can get through the window there. So it doesn't make you wonder, though. She does it so just instantly. Don't you maybe wonder if, like, the Jordan family... Maybe had a cat that was completely tortured by Newton and Timmy. Oh, you know, like she was just awful. You know, like oh, I, you know, I, I got you know noodles. You know, I got him pinned by his tail again. And Timmy's like, uh, 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 oh, Newt, you're the worst. Or Rebecca, I guess. Rebecca, you're the worst because he was the only one who called her Rebecca. But I'm just saying, it's she does it a little too quickly for me to think that there's not been any pin the tail and trap the animal experience in her life. That's all I'm saying. Hmm. Well, you know, you you having this idea uh, concerns me a little bit, and I am going to stop the recording for a moment and come get my cats <laughs> let's out of the room that are sitting. In- just make it canon that Newt is an animal <laughs> torturer. Let's just let's just make it canon. No, I, I, no. Actually, what it what it speaks to is that she, like Ripley, has astonishingly well developed and honed survival instincts. That that sort of what. Any of us, you know, talking on the podcast or listen to podcasts might very well freeze and think, oh, my God, these women act. Yeah, exactly. Now, on that note, though, I have a nitpick about this minute. And that's and here's where I think the, the this idea of acting immediately kind of fails us through the editing here. I think there's a weird cut here. And that is, you know, we get Newt pins the tail of the facehugger. We get a close-up of the tail, so we see where it's pinned. And then we cut to Hicks and Hudson looking through the window at the scene. And they're standing perfectly still and watching. And every time, ever since I first watched this movie, every time this cut occurs, it feels to me like they've been watching for a while. (laughs) And this is one of those things, (laughs) at least a few seconds. Let's see how the kid handles it. Is that what they're kind of... Or the, like, what's going on? I mean, there's multiple ways to take it. And to me, this seems like a really obvious choice. This is one of those times where you're cutting on action, where you're cutting away. You have the action of Newt doing her business. you got to cut to them arriving, not having already arrived. It okay. feels strange. Yeah, you see I, what I, I mean? I buy that, yeah. Then bursting because in into your, the hallway, yeah. In film, you know, in simple understanding of film grammar, when you cut to somebody standing there watching, you're going to feel like they've been there for at least a little bit of time. But to see them actually stepping up to the scene, you realize, no, they're they're seeing this right now and they're acting immediately, which is the feeling I want to get from these Marines. I don't want to think that they showed up, saw the scene going down, and stood there and gawked at it for any amount of time before <laughs> going into action. Let's clean and load our weapons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on in there looky yeah. there it's all red inside you know i don't know what it is that they're <laughs> that they're thinking but to me it's just a bad cut I, I i know that's not what they're actually trying to say they're not trying to say that they stood there and watched they just didn't cut it right they should have had them run up see what happens and then jump in well if you could talk cameron into recutting that scene then please talk him into not making the avatar sequels that nobody asked for yeah maybe he could spend all that time on just cutting this one, making this one cut. That's all I'm saying is that, you know, it's, you've already, I get it. You, you push the envelope with technology. You've done it. You've gotten uh, 30 more new patents with Avatar. We don't need any more movies. You had fun. So why don't you actually fix this glaring problem, according to John Engel, in your old awesome <laughs> movie? 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a ring after the show and see, uh, see if he's got a few minutes Can in his we... day to CG uh, render uh, <laughs> Hicks and Hudson. Can we for this also talk about Newt's scream, which competes favorably with the fire alarm? It does. Yeah, it, it blends well. Astonishing noise that Carrie Hen can make. It is this. It, it's it's just almost like at, at a non kind of, kind of almost at the edge of what's audible to us humans. And part of me wondered: is she kind of looking for a certain frequency? That will maybe vibrate the face huggers and make them explode, or something. Is it is it some kind of mutant power she developed on LV four two six? Because it is an incredible noise. Well, that would be a very Stephen King move. Like we'd be stepping into Stephen King's Aliens if oh. she somehow was like a shrieker. I think we really like Firestarter. Only she's a shrieker and she can shriek things to explode. Right. You know? Maybe that that would be an interesting. Right. I think. Is it, wait, isn't that the kid from Looper? Uh, oh, yeah. No, see, like, her parents would have noticed it, like, when she screamed a certain way, like, the TV channels would change. And, and Yeah, so they're like, Newt, never scream. Never scream. That would be her thing. She'd always be trying not to scream because right. she didn't want to hurt anybody. Right, like, her parents, like, her nickname instead of Newt was, like, Clicker because she could always change the channel. <laughs> and then, once... Follow me through this. So once... You know, she's the only survivor. How did she do it? Well... Perhaps the xenomorphs that came to get her blew up. They they blew up in the vents when she when she unleashed a shriek. And now that she's in you know surrounded and she's trying to do it again, but it doesn't work on facehuggers, only on the mature xenomorphs. So again, uh, these are things that probably should be canon. And I understand that you know that that I'm probably just one person among many bringing it up. But it just seems to me that that her her noise, her her unbelievable scream, can't go unremarked upon. Well, I'm pretty sure that you're the you're the only person bringing up that she probably could kill aliens with her voice. But um, almost killed me. It makes it a novel idea. But again, I do think isn't that the character? Isn't that the kid from Looper, from Ryan Johnson's Looper? Doesn't he scream and it makes people explode? Bruce Willis. I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, not Bruce Willis, but there's a child from him. <laughs> I Remember, there's a child character. Bruce Willis screaming and making people explode. Like, it would be like this amazing diehard sci-fi mashup or something. It would be phenomenal. I mean, you know, it's like, happy trails, Hans, and then, ee! And Hans is blown out of the window by the force of the scream. I'm just, uh See, again, uh, if this could happen, uh, well, I, I, just, I, I just wish studio execs, more of them, listen to this podcast and would contact us because these are not, these ideas are not three a penny. These are great ideas that we're throwing out. Yeah. No, they're really good. All right. They're really, really well, good. Coming from you, John, that means a lot. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it yeah. for this minute. Unless you have something else. Our minute ends with Newt shrieking for Hudson's help. And uh, we'll see in our next minute if Hudson has actually got his shit wired up enough to help a child. Yep, uh, visit us at alienminute.com. Come to iTunes and uh, subscribe over there if you haven't. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, it's helpful to subscribe over there and give us a five-star review if you'd like. Helps people uh, find us. You can also us. follow us. It does help people yeah. find us. Yeah, um, you don't limit us to you know the, the two or three million people that make up our audience. Spread us out. Yeah, let's get a, let's get a couple more million. That's what I'm saying. In. That That's awesome. what I'm yeah. saying. And I'd like some feedback from those millions on the Bruce Willis as Shrieking Mutant in Die Hard, John McClane the Screamer. 
Right. Let's get some feedback on that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get some good feedback, I'm sure. All right. Well, well, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 95.